Welcome to episode 10 of the More Math for More People podcast. It's September 7th, 2021. Cheers. Hello, I'm Joel. And I'm Misty. And this is More Math for More People, brought to you by CPM Educational Program. This podcast supports middle and high school teachers with best practices, relevant research, helpful hints and tips, and anything else that randomly comes to our minds. We hope you find this podcast both entertaining and informative for your math teaching practice. This is Misty, and I'm on the road in Minneapolis, so I apologize for the audio quality. We still need some entries for our Pluto contest from Episode 9. So if you are thinking, oh darn, I missed it, it's too late, that's not true, you can still send me a message in the portal. I am the only Misty there. Use the search, you can find me. And send me a message about what you did for your Pluto huddle, and we'll send you a free CPM prize. Talk to you soon. So today's International Clean Air Day. International Clean Air Day. Yeah, and it's a it's a big deal in my neck of the woods. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I know that this fluctuates or changes on any given day, but I know for sure there have been days this year we have been the worst air quality in the world. I've also seen Portland, where -hmm. where you are, has been worse than Salt Lake City at some times during this year, and not just this year. Well, definitely, yeah. So definitely (laughs) a year ago, we had terrible, 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 terrible air quality when there was the fires, and it was, and they were very close. They were reasonably close to Portland, so we got this smoke, ground level smoke that just got stuck in Portland for, it seemed like it was about a week. Like it was a really long time. Wow. It was hard to describe to people how smoky it was. Looking across the street, there was smoke between my house and the other houses. Wow. Some of the positive notes of this day are, I love that it's kind of a world collaboration, not just Mm -hmm. a United States or a one state or something like that doing it. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of taking some action and helping try and it it feels like right or wrong, but fires, they happen, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. And that's a heavy pollution thing right now is the fires. Yeah. So celebrate National Clean Air Day by doing something that doesn't contribute to air pollution, I guess. Absolutely. And just a a big thank you to anybody who does fight fires or fights for clean air. So thank you for that. Thank you. Right. So these next couple of episodes, I think we kind of want to bring up some study team strategies because it's the start of the school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are study teams important? How to get those things going? Things like that. Do you have any ideas? So I did a couple things to help with study teams in my classroom. Uh, one, I was I introduced team norms with my students. So every day at the beginning of the year in particular, until they had a ter- internalized this list, which happened at some point for the most part, 
I had a list of study team norms that I put on the table. So I had just taken it and put on a colored piece of paper and laminated it nice. It was a little half sheet. And I put that on every table and it had the study team norms, which included things like everyone works on the same problem. Everyone, you know, we're smarter together, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, Talking within your team, keeping your talking about math. And so I had that on the tables every day. And then every day I did daily points with my students. And so they had, at the end of class, one of our routines was to do up our daily points. And they would write down on their stamp sheet where they kept track of their assignments how many daily points they got. And they're always five points. So one point was for bringing all your materials, your pencil, book, and your journal. Okay. Another point was for doing your homework check, using a red pen, and asking all of your questions. I, this is, I said this every time, right? Yeah, so it, yeah. It's very rehearsed. <laughs> it's a norm. <laughs> yeah. A third point was for everyone in the team getting to the target problem, which was generally the last core problem that I wanted them to get to. I generally had my kids just kind of keep working and I would come in and check in with them as they went. We didn't just like go to problem this, everyone stop, go to the next problem, everyone stop, right? I wanted them to keep going. Like I didn't want them to sit there and get bored. So right. everyone, everyone on their team had to finish the target problem to get that point. And then the last two points were their study team points. They had a, another little index card. I had taken two index cards, like one was red and one was yellow or something. I don't know what the colors were. And I would laminate them together so that they were different colors on each side. And the one number, one side would have a two and the other side would have a one. And so at the beginning of class, I would put on the everyone's table, the two. So it would sit just this, with the card sitting with two facing up. So everyone had two study team points when they came to okay. class. And then as I circulate around, if I come to a team and they're not following the norms, like maybe they're off task talking about something else, or mm. one person's on problem 35 and everyone's on th- problem 33, right. then I would just, I didn't usually have to tell them what it was. I would just take the card and I would turn it over to one. So now they only had one study team point. And I would do that. And if they didn't notice, I would tell them like, oh, you only have one point now. And then they would figure out why they didn't have one point. Like they never asked me, why? Why did we take away a point? Because they would immediately know. They'd say, Jeremy, stop talking to the other teams. We're losing points, right? right? Or why are you working ahead? We're supposed to be working together. Don't move on until we're all ready. And so they would tell each other what to do, which was part of the beauty. I didn't have to tell them. They figured it out. And then I would say very, very, very rarely – did I have to come around and actually like take the card away so they had zero points? Right. Usually by the time I had come back around, they were always back doing what they needed to do and I would flip it back to two. So I always try to make it really hard, make it not about how long have you been off task, how long are we on task, right? Like you don't have to be, you've been off task for 10 minutes, so now That's you have right. to be on task for 10 minutes to get the point. <laughs> like, no, it was really sort of like, okay, you've corrected, you're back to two. And certainly if you were off task for like entire class period and then on task the last two minutes, you're not going to get them. But by that point, I would have taken other measures, right? So it, it almost, I mean, they always ended up, sometimes they ended up with one. They just, they just didn't really get it all together, but that was fine. And there were sometimes my teams like just fell apart, but that was, it was like a constant feedback for them about sure. where they are with their team norms. And I realized one time I was to explain this to somebody and they were like, oh, it's like doing a participation quiz every day in some ways, right? <laughs> so then at the end of class, they would get those. They could put down their team points and add that up and then add it to their stamp sheet every day. Very cool. So that was one of the ways that I reinforced team norms. 
Did the strategy work throughout the year then, or was that just a initial strategy? Or? So I, I had to reinforce it pretty, like every day for sure at the beginning. Mm-hmm. The norms were out, cards were out every single day. Somewhere October, November, the cards would go out, but they'd never, they wouldn't get turned over as much or whatever. And so at some point, sometimes I would just not put them out after a while. And then I would just do it verbally. I would just walk around and I'd say, you're at one study team point now because they just had gotten good at it. Right. And every once in a while, we'd have to get them out. We'd have to go back to it. I'm like, yep, we need to do these again because we're just slipping away. Or when I change teams, maybe for a new chapter or something like that, and I just needed that extra reinforcement, that extra feedback. Very cool. Yeah. But it worked great. That sounds like a great strategy. So I, I just think about my day one, how I would set up those study mm-hmm. teams and a lot of the paperwork that as a teacher, we have to take care of are things like um, a syllabus and a seating chart and all of these things. And I kind of put that aside because I really wanted to reinforce the those norms of the class and the study teams, because I figured day one, if they understand that study teams are important, they'll understand <laughs> was my philosophy. <laughs> and so they would come in and I would do a very quick sort, usually just like a playing cards, go find people with the same playing card you have quick icebreaker, get to know you sort of thing. And then I wouldn't even name the team roles. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode where I would just number them off one through four. Ones, you're going to go get the stuff. Twos, you're going to write it down. Threes, you're going to make sure the time doesn't run out. And fours, you're going to make sure everybody is participating and has a question. And we kind of talk that through and we just go right into that first lesson, 1.1.1 of any course that I was teaching that year. And then before the end of that class, we would talk about some team norms. And also in the book, of course, it's mentioning what the team norms are and the team roles and how to work together. And from that day forward, then we could build our list of what we were going to do in the class. And I say we by probably my guiding them to those things. (laughs) And like you said, there's ebbs and flows and it's it wasn't perfect every day or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but they knew it was important. And that was going to be part of the class. And so that's how I kind of supported those study teams. Yeah. One of the things that I realized is that if I ever got to a place where I was giving like negative team points, something mm-hmm. else probably needed to happen. You know, right. they, they needed to get up and move or there was something else going on that maybe we needed to like air out and talk about because they, they were, they were definitely capable of doing it. It's just that right. some days it just fell apart. And if so, if it got to that point, I needed to recognize that they needed something different because I had middle schoolers. They they didn't always right. know they needed something, <laughs> but but their need would come out. It was right? it was evident. It was evident to everyone else. They had a need. They didn't know what it was. But so as you're starting out the school year, I think one of the things that I would say, and even if you're maybe there's some people who are going to be like, I didn't start school just this week. I mean, a lot of schools are starting this week, and some schools have been going for like four to six weeks. That's right. If you've been four to six weeks, it's a good time to probably reinforce study teams. And what a great point that that beginning part of doing it and making it a habit and starting it off and setting it out, making it a habit is is really, really huge and super important. So hopefully you have a plan. And if you've started, you can hey do a participation quiz this week or really, you know, go back to some study team strategies or reinforce norms in some way so that kids can do that because like we've talked about before, kids just don't know automatically how to do this. People don't they know do how not. to just automatically know how to do this. <laughs> we have to help them. We have to give them structure and help them figure out how to do that. Absolutely. And and having the kids communicate about that. Like I love that part about your strategy is they're self-evaluating themselves. So that's really great. 
I never had to tell them what they were doing wrong. They knew. <laughs> <laughs> So we're here with Angela Kraft, who's an instructional specialist and math coach in Wisconsin, and she's been teaching middle school math for 15 years as part of the CPM Teacher Researcher Corps. So welcome, Angela. We are so happy to have you with us today. And my first question is, how do you pronounce the city you work in? (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored um, to be here, and I'm excited to share a little bit about some of the number talks we've been doing. But to pronounce the city is Oconomowoc. It's actually, there's a there's potential history in there. Don't know if this story is true, but they talk about there's a lot of lakes around our area. And apparently back in the day when the Indians were walking around and they there were lots of lakes. So they, they kept saying things like, I cannot walk no more. I cannot walk no more. So Oconomowoc kind of came from that, apparently. Who knows if that's true? That's great. <laughs> I love stories like that about how something might have happened. And then it's like, oh, this is the real thing. But like, no one really knows if that's what happened or not. That's awesome. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, thank you for being here. So we talked with, um, we did talk with Mark Cote a little bit about the TRC. And he gave us a little bit of background information and explanation of what it is and how it works. So how long have you been a part of the TRC? And what do you enjoy most about being in the TRC? Um, so I heard about TRC after their second year of implementing it, and it's actually one of my favorite things I've done in my career. It's one of probably the most learning I've ever gotten. It's made me definitely into the teacher I am today and the, and the, te- and the coach I am today. But my absolute favorite part is it's, it's a risk-free opportunity to implement some new strategies in a classroom and reflect on if it works or not with, with student achievement. So if you have an idea in mind and you're, oh, I would really like to try this. I know a lot of people in some districts get scared and fearful that if it doesn't work, then I, maybe I'm going to, things will backfire and I may not get the results I want. And so they just don't do it. Um, where this is an opportunity to say, hey, let's try it and let's reflect what, what part of it's working, what part of it isn't working. And, and then if it, if something like number talks where we had so much success that it's something that we now implement in, in, in my building with all new teachers, all new hires get trained on it all teachers that have been doing it for routinely for multiple years. And it's one of those that hopefully will, will stick around for a while. So you just mentioned uh, number talks. And during the CPM National Conference, you gave a did a session on number talks. And it was really awesome. Can you just tell us a little bit about what are number talks? Yes, for sure. So in that first and second year of TRC, I, I realized I forgot to answer your question. I think it's I'm on year six or seven of TRC. But in my first two years, I was re- really blessed and fortunate to have the opportunity to work with Pam Lindemer, who had executed the first year of Number Talks the year before I got there. So she was able to kind of bring us on board, talk a little bit about what they are. And then I got to jump in with the team and try it and try out some different types of Number Talks to try with kids. What it is, is it's it's a 10 to 15 minute short activity that hits all math teaching practices and all math practice standards for the students. And it's really to build number sense around procedural fluency. So you kind of present a problem, you ask the students to work on it mentally, and then give them some wait time to think of one strategy. If they have more time, they can try to think of multiple strategies of how to arrive at the, at the solution. And then once you've given adequate wait time, then you as the teacher will record a volunteer's response as to how they arrived at their solution. So it's really, it's a tough situation because as a teacher, you need to record exactly what the student is saying 
which is tough because as a teacher, your natural inclination is to fix a mistake or a misconception. So it's it, you kind of have to train yourself out of that and, and record exactly what the student is saying. And then you can ask some follow-up questions or you can prompt students if they're stuck. It really, the whole point is to model what happens in a team conversation among students. If a student is stuck among another student, like what types of questions would you ask? Like what are those sentence starters? How can you prompt somebody to explain further? So doing them more often, hopefully models what that should look like peer-to-peer interactions. And again, the more you do it, you students are then exposed to all different types of strategies of how to arrive at a solution. Sometimes you can name the strategy after a student who like, hey, I thought of this. And then you're like, that's a great strategy. Let's name it the Remy strategy or, or whoever student shared it. And then eventually, if that is, let's say it's something like the distributive property, then you can eventually give it its, its proper vocabulary mathematical name once the students are ready for that. So definitely like a quick 10 to 15 minute activity you can do daily, weekly, monthly to talk about building number sense. There's two things I heard in there when you were saying that one is that shared authority with students, that their ideas are equally valuable, whether they're quote unquote correct or not, whatever way they do it, that that is equally valuable, which I think is great. I think that's one of those things that we always, a lot of our curriculum, we're trying to get kids to feel like mathematicians. And so they can, they can feel like that. And even to the point of, oh, look, Remy's strategy is called the distributive property. Like, look, Remy, you discovered the distributive property. How cool is that? (laughs) And the other thing that I like in that is that bit of transparency, right, of modeling conversation and saying, hey, when I was unclear about what so-and-so said, I asked this question, and this is how I was able to get more information and helping kids understand how to have those conversations. Because people, even though people are social creatures, they don't naturally know how to ask each other questions that way. And, and kids in particular can get really anxious about it. So I think those are, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. If a teacher were wanting to implement number talks, how would you suggest they get started? Do I make them up? Do I find them somewhere? Like, is there a book? Like, how would I get started if I wanted to implement number talks? Yeah, great question. Definitely, there's lots of op- opportunities. There's um, the Making Number Talks Matter textbook, which is by Kathy Humphreys and Ruth Parker, was one of the um, texts that Pam and I had read early in the research. Um, their suggestion is to start with with dot talks, which again, you can find multiples of, of these on Google. If you just type in dot talks. And then what you do is typically you want to start with those because you want easy access. You want any student to be able to enter into the type of problem so that they, you can gain the confidence and talk about the procedures around how to do these. And then a dot talk is just a series of dots on, on, a, on a page. And then you ask the students to tell you how many there are without physically counting one by one. So the idea is, is they want to group some of the dots and then explain to someone else, well, I saw three at the top, four in the middle, and three at the bottom. Um, so they kind of explain how they saw the dots aligned. I've done this millions of times, and some kids see it vertically or horizontally or diagonally, or they'll pick apart blocks of things within that within that dot talk. So definitely would start with image-type talks first. And then um, Humphreys and Parker talk about jumping into some subtraction. And I, I think the purpose of that is because there's so many different ways that you can think about carrying and borrowing and, and that whole per- perspective of the subtraction offers the, the complex dynamics of how to do it. I personally started with um, just, I was dealing with some middle school and seventh grade. So I, I personally started with multiplication that I knew would dive into some of that distributive property. So I think one of my first problems was like 18 times five. And then ask them mentally, how would you calculate that? A lot of students in their mind will do 18 
and then five underneath vertically. And we'll explain to you, I did eight times five, and then I put the answer down, and I carried, and then, and you're like, wow, okay, so what happens if you have like a three and a two digit number? Like, you're really going to try to line that up in your mind? Like, that's great. If you can do that, great, but that's tough. So what are some other strategies? And then a lot of students will, will, will do the dub, doubling strategy or the having strategy or breaking apart the 18 into 10 and eight into those friendlier numbers. So and then it's interesting how the students will share. Well, I made friendly numbers. Where have you heard a friendly number before? You know, and talking about some previous curriculums that they may have heard that or the doubling and having like, well, that's an interesting strategy. What does that mean? And then kind of you may have students in your classroom that has never heard of that strategy and kind of diving into those. Awesome. I really, I really like how for the teacher, it hits those boxes of the standards. But for the students, they're just learning so much by just talking about math and being comfortable to talk about it and do all those. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's as you started saying that, I had a thought that when I was a kid and we would be driving in the car, my dad would make up mental math problems for us to do. And there was a little bit of a competition, like how fast can you find the answer? And and I would always use some standard algorithm, of course. And then my dad would always find the answer much faster than me, not because he was doing standard algorithm, but because he would do that. Like he would say, oh, well, I would make 18, 20, and I'd multiply it by five, and then I'd subtract 10 or whatever, right? And, I, and, he, and he would explain this to me, like, like, I would say, like, well, I did this and this and this. And he would say, okay, so this is what I did. And I, I didn't realize until I was adult that my dad was teaching me all of these shortcuts and ways of thinking about math in a different way, along the lines of number talks, which I think is great. My dad was a number talk, and he didn't even know it. Yeah, he was, he was building your number sense. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and, and all too often I have conversations with staff around the debate, the math fact debate, right? Of uh, mm-hmm. these kids don't know their facts and how can they do algebra if they don't know their facts? And it's one of those where it's, that's a really hard conversation because I do definitely see both sides of the story. I think oh, back in the day when we were doing math facts, and I don't know if you guys recall, but even in my first early years of teaching, it was the rocket ship. And if you would color in as soon as you were able to master a certain fact and you were trying to color in that rocket and you know it had to be done in a certain amount of time. And I think the problem was, is we just created this anxiety of the kiddos that, that don't have the fluency the, the speed in it. And, and then it became around, it's not necessarily about the speed. It's about, can you arrive at those solutions? So the conversation I have with my teachers all the time is the kids can do it. It's not that they can't. You're looking for speed. So, you know, be careful. They know the, they, they know how to get to those facts. They just don't have them memorized. They can use number sense and, and get there. So like know that like the last five years of, of their career, they're really good with number sense, which is ultimately what we want. Now you're looking for that that fluency and that speed. And I, if that's what you want and if that's what you value as an educator, then go ahead and you can supplement different activities that, that might help build the confidence of the fact without the number sense. But they, sh- they still can do algebra. It may just take them slightly longer because they're going to use the number sense versus n- memorizing a fact. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it so much. And if you do want to stay connected with Angela, you can go to the Teacher Researcher Core blog, which you can connect at cpm.org. Would love to chat. Could I could do this all day. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Misty and I are going to model an ambassador study team and teaching strategy now with the help of our alter egos, JJ Mills and Nikki M. And in an ambassador study team and teaching strategy, when a study team finishes their work, each person becomes an ambassador then. They're the knowledgeable person now. 
and then they go and they help with other teams. So let's listen in on team number four as the teacher comes over to check their progress. So, team four, how is it going with problem 3105? JJ? Well, we finished that problem already. Oh, all right. So, Nikki, can you tell me what you figured out in the problem? We figured out that the person doing the hypnotizing needs to be 250 centimeters away from the mirror. So, Joel, when you set that up in the front of the room, did that work? Well, it was close, but yes, we could see each other's eyes. Well, that's great. So now I have a special assignment for your team. Your team has finished the problem more quickly than many of the other teams. Yeah. We rock. So I would like you to be ambassadors for the other teams. So here's what you need to do. Each of you will go to one other team and ask them questions like I would do as the teacher to help them move forward. Remember, don't tell them how to do the problem. Help by asking questions and giving suggestions. So we just walk up to them and give them suggestions? Well, kind of. First, ask them questions like, how are you doing with the problem? Or what questions do you have about the problem? In fact, here are some pocket questions that you can use with the other teams to get started, just like I use with teams. Are you willing to do this? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hi, Team 2. What questions do you have about Problem 3-105? I'm an ambassador here, and I'm here to help you. Oh, good. We're really confused about how to set up the triangles and the proportion. Can you help us? For more information and to stay connected with CPM happenings, you can find CPM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our intro music is one of the very talented contributions that you can find on pixabay.com. Thank you, Julius H., for your creation. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel? It'll be September 21st, and it's the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival. And the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival celebrates the moon, and it's held annually on the 15th of the 8th lunar month, which falls between mid-September and early October. And it's on September 21st this year. And it's originated with the Chinese, and the celebrations of this festival, they spread with the immigration of the Chinese people all over the world, and ways that you can celebrate this holiday that's been celebrated